Welcome back to the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And today I've got a new friend, but somebody that I've really respected for a long time. Um, He is a subject matter expert when it comes to generational gaps. He's worked with leaders all across the world. He's been on some of the the biggest podcasts um, in our country today, and I've heard him time and time again share conversations with people that I really respect and admire. His name is Dr. Tim Elmore. Many of you know Dr. Tim Elmore. He's the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders. His work grew out of 20 years serving alongside Dr. John C. Maxwell. We were fortunate enough to interview uh, Mark Cole recently, CEO of Maxwell Leadership, also a friend of Tim's. And it's funny how our worlds just continue to collide with with Tim's and and the work that he does. Uh, Tim has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, USA Today, Psychology Today, and he's been featured on shows like CNN's Headline News as well as Fox and Friends. Tim has written more than, check this out, 35 books, including my personal favorite, Habitudes, Images That Form Leadership Habits and Attitudes. I think his tools, Tim's teaching tools, are some of the best tools for leaders to be applying in their own leadership journey. If you are leading a team, if you're leading yourself, uh, Tim has just become a master of practical application. I think that's what people really admire and love about his work. Um, It doesn't just make you feel good, it creates change and drives results. Tim and his wife, Pam, have two adult children, Bethany and Jonathan. They live just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, but today he's here with us. And uh, Tim, just couldn't be more thankful to have you on the podcast. Jordan, I'm honored to be with you. This will be fun. We're going to have a blast. And listen, I'm going to learn. So I always say heavy note-taking to our audience when I get a guest like you, but today's heavy note-taking for me, man, because this hits me (laughs) right in my heart. Your work is so critically important. And um, as a backdrop, I want to share this. I know that you said in 2019, you had a conversation with a senior leader. You're working with a team. And this millennial says, um, he says this about the millennial. He says, that person just does not understand me. And, um, and then you were talking to the millennial and the millennial says, well, that senior leader just does not understand me. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was, this moment was sort of the impetus of a new book that you wrote called a new kind of diversity. And, um, we're going to talk about that book today. It drops October 25th and, um, we're going to go hard and fast in that direction, a new kind of diversity, making the different generations on your team a competitive advantage. Could you give us maybe a high level overview, Tim, of the book? Yeah, well, Jordan, you're exactly right. That conversation was a trigger along with several others. It seems like everywhere I go, people know that their teammates are good and have value to add but we just seem to be colliding instead of collaborating sometimes because one might be 22, another one, I don't know, 62 sometimes, and then everything in between. And we're in such niched worlds today. You know, we have this niche of this echo chamber where I'm on the social media platforms I'm on, but you're on a different platform. And so once the screens in our life went from public to private, went from one TV in the house to everybody's got a portable device, we've got our own little echo chamber And so this gap, what was once called a generation gap, is now a gigantic chasm in too many places. And you know what I found is the biggest dilemma? It's not the worst, but it's the one I see most often. We start just thinking, well, I just have to tolerate those different generations, those stupid millennials, those snowflake Gen Zers or whatever. And I'm going, this, there's more to this than that. And I 
I believe we just need to be able to leverage the strengths of each generation as they serve on our team. So describe to us generational diversity, because the title of the book is catchy, a new kind of diversity. We don't always often think about diversity in those terms, but describe to us in your own words, generational diversity. Yeah. Well, um, we've been talking about diversity for a long time, have we not? You know, ethnic diversity, gender diversity, income diversity. But I think there's one just as real as those, and it is generational diversity, but it keeps it's looming as an elephant in the room. You know, we're just, we don't know what to call it. So we just don't talk about it. But then at the water cooler, we're having these behind the back conversations and that's not fair. So here's what I suggest in the book, just like where you grow up can affect the way you turn out when you grow up can affect the way you turn out. So, you know, if I grew up, well, my mom and dad, they grew up during the great depression and world war II. So they're frugal and resourceful and thankful. And you know, that whole thing. Well, you know, a millennial or a Gen Zer, they're not bad, but they're not that. You know, it's just they had a very different upbringing. It was time of digital customization. So um, I'm probably saying what your listeners already know, but because this is a thing, we've got to do better than just putting up with each other. We've got to do the work to know each other. And I think that's what we we're not doing. We we stereotype, do we not? We should sure stereotypes are just mental shortcuts that we take because we're not willing to do the work. And then we start saying things like all baby boomers are stubborn, all Gen Xers are skeptical, all those millennials are narcissistic, and all Gen Zers are fragile snowflakes, you know, stuff like that. And we know better, but we keep doing this. So I'm challenging people. Here's another metaphor. I'm sorry, I'm monopolizing this conversation. So good. Another metaphor I use is, is just in the same way that when you hop on an airplane and you fly to China or France you know that when you hop off that plane, you're going to have to work harder at connecting with those people Mm. because they come from a different, you know, they got different customs, different language, different values. Bingo. I Mm. think I hop on a plane and I fly to Gen Z, different customs, different language, (laughs) different values. So I got to say, I better psych myself up. It's going to be work, but it's going to be worth it. And that's what the book, the book is designed to be an encyclopedia for people. Just here's a dictionary. Here's an encyclopedia to really understand and get the most out of uh, each one. Well, here's where we're going to get practical, uh, Tim. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm about to really learn here and I've already learned from you, but I'm going to, I'm about to learn some more. Um, (laughs) I want you to first address senior team members and speak to maybe their greatest vulnerability or opportunity to connect with the younger generation. And then we're going to go the other way. We'll talk to some of the emerging leaders Mm -hmm. who are listening about some of their greatest vulnerabilities and, and greatest opportunities. So, Speak to that senior team leader that's trying to understand this younger generation. What do they need to know? And then ultimately, what do they need to do? Yeah, I would say, and this is just me, but after researching this issue now for for really for decades, I would say our greatest vulnerability as older seasoned veterans is we get stuck in our own way. I mean, in other words, we, we got our way of doing it. It's worked forever, you know. And now we miss opportunities. We have blind spots, generational blind spots. Here's a good story that illustrates that. There was a kid named Tony who at 20 years old worked for a major retail brand paint store during his college years. While he was there selling paint, he started a TikTok account. And after hours, he would start mixing blueberries with white paint and making this vivid shade of blue. And he started shooting video and posting it. Well, Tony goes viral. He has 1.4 million followers and 37 million views. 
So he thinks to himself, my, this is cool. Maybe my paint store could monetize this. You know, maybe we could market to a whole nother crew of people that don't know about us. So he puts a slide deck together, you know, this little presentation, and he takes it to the executives. And Tony does not get one person interested. He doesn't get one set of eyeballs willing to look at a slide deck. Tony does get something he didn't expect. He got fired. <laughs> Tony gets let go because they're just sure he's doing this on company time. He's probably distracting the customers, probably stealing the paint. You know how we're <laughs> suspicious of those young whippersnappers, you know? Yeah. Well, get this, Jordan, get this. Tony leaves because he's been fired, moves to Florida, now has over 2 million followers and started his own paint store. So there's probably wow. lots to the story that we don't understand. Wow. I'll admit that. But one thing we, we, we can uh, admit that older seasoned veteran that said no, that didn't even bother, this won't even matter, missed a great opportunity. So TikTok would not be something that would be part of my normal <laughs> you know, lifestyle, but my gosh, this is where the future's going. So that would be one. Yeah. Uh, I would say the younger generation can be so timely in what they're hip on and you know, know about that they may miss the timeless virtues and values that you and I both know, don't miss those. Don't miss mm. that integrity thing. Don't miss that, you know, honesty thing. Don't miss that mm. work ethic thing. So I think sometimes we're so, dare I say, lusting after the future, which is where we're going, that we miss some of the things that our grandparents perhaps knew that, mm. that, we, that we've left behind. So I love what Chip Conley calls it. He says, in every company, there's modern elders and young geniuses. And if we could just get these two together, the modern elders and the young geniuses, holy smokes, might we have an incredible MVP team that could do anything and sell to anybody. So yeah. that's what we're after. So good. So good. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this emerging group. And I know you just mentioned, yeah. hey, they need to adopt some timeless principles. And yeah. there's, yeah. there's certainly some experience that we need to glean from when we you know think about the boomers and I'll just say Gen Xers, yeah. um, but anything else that you think emerging leaders should be thinking about related to what they can learn or how they can honor and, and uh, collaborate with senior leaders that are of a different generation? Yeah, I, I think I've got a scenario that comes up. I know it comes up a bunch because I've heard it a bunch. So Janet and Rory are on the same team. Janet was the hiring manager. Rory was a, he's a 23 year old young team member. So they're in a meeting that Janet is facilitating. So keep in mind, she's the position leader. And Rory starts snickering in the meeting. Well, Janet goes, I'm sorry, Rory, am I missing something? Is there something funny? And he says, well, I think what we're, what we're doing right now is chuggy. And of course, Janet does not know what chuggy means, but she knows, <laughs> it's, she knows it's derogatory. You know, this is a big L. You know, he uses terms that she does not understand, but she knows she's feeling dissed. So after the meeting, she calls Rory into her office, Janet, that is. And Janet says, Rory, um, I'm so glad you're on the team, but man, you just showed, you just showed disrespect for, you questioned my authority in front of everybody in that room. Well, Rory feels dissed because she had said earlier, this is a learning company. We want to be open to new ideas. Best idea wins. So Rory feels disrespected. Janet feels disrespected. And neither generation benefits from each other. So I think if Rory had a thought, you know what, I want to do this right. I got some new ideas. 
but the best way to do it is not to chuckle at my boss in the public square here and then say, this is chuggy or whatever. Um, what he could have done is come to her privately and said, uh, Janet, I think I've got some ideas that might be helpful and relevant. What would be a good way or when would be a good time? That humility is how we win over the, the older generation. When I worked for John Maxwell at 23 years old, back in 1983, I had some ideas that John could use, but I would go to breakfast. We'd have breakfast. Uh, and I would say, John, what do you think about this? Well, I think blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, you know, I had an idea. I'm not sure if it's helpful, but it could be. But the more I was humble and just wanting to add value, John, of course, leaned in. Mm. Uh, you know, he's 14 years older than I am. And so I, I just feel like humility is that timeless, timeless virtue that mm. gets the listening ear from the other person. So here's the assignment I give myself as a 62-year-old. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. I want to speak in a meeting as if I believe I'm right, but I want to listen as if I believe I'm wrong. If I will do that, it's a game. By the way, it's been a game changer with my own kids. Bethany's 34, John yes. is 30. If I listen to them as if I believe I might be wrong, oh my gosh, I'm getting choked up. I'm just thinking this win them at, it wins them at the heart level because they're going, my gosh, my dad's an author and he's listening to me, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I just think that's the timeless virtue that we dare not miss as the young become the leaders and take over the world. Oh, that's so good. Speak as if you think you're right, but listen as though yeah. you think you're wrong. Yeah. Um, you do so much work in the realm of emotional intelligence. I mean, I, I think really at the core of a lot of your work, Tim, is, is emotional intelligence. And you yeah. talk about that yes. in kind of four different ways. Before we go there, I, I also just want to encourage you publicly while you're here on the podcast, because I think part of what you just described, and I think part of what young leaders need to hear is that honor matters. Yeah, and honor does. also produces access. And when you yeah, think about huh, your run right. with, with John Maxwell, you honored John. Um, yeah. you, you served, you know, Mark Cole said this on our podcast recently, for a season, make a senior leader's agenda your agenda. Mm -hmm. Learn to honor them, you know, come alongside yeah. them, serve them, ask questions. And so, you know, it's been a hallmark of your leadership is just you've, you've honored others and you certainly honored John Maxwell, which I think in turn created, you know, some, some opportunity and yeah. some access that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, anything else you want right. to say about that? If I say something real quick? Yeah, please. I'm sorry, Jordan. Please. Um, I, I, I certainly am not perfect. There's, by, by any stretch of the imagination, you can just ask my wife. However, uh, I really do believe that's what I did. I made John's agenda my agenda, knowing that one day I might go out and start something, which I did. But I was 43 when I started it. And looking back, I thought, oh, maybe God was pushing me earlier. Well, maybe. But I know I so honored him that when I left, I left with his blessing. He was the mm. first person to give to my nonprofit. He's given. He's one of our biggest donors. <clears throat> and I know why. Because we have so much history. I owe that guy my life. I'm telling you, I do. And I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm just saying there's nothing. It's like David and Saul. Remember that you know, great mm. story in the, in the scriptures where Saul was the king and he was an idiot. He was an idiot chasing after David. But David said, I'm not going to try to remove him from office. I'm mm. going to serve him, serve him, serve him, even if I have to run from him. But when it was David's time, mm, boy, did he rule. So I would agree if you're a listener right now and you're kind of maybe 20s or 30s and you're just waiting for your turn, don't miss honoring your leader. It's always right. Mm. Take the high road. 
and and be humble because your gift will make a way if you'll just wait your turn. Um, so yeah, yeah that, so, I just echo so, what you're saying. So, so good. And, and I would say this, Tim, I know that in your journey with John, I'm sure there were moments where maybe you didn't totally agree or maybe John yeah. shared some feedback that affected you in a certain way. And, and you had to use emotional intelligence to sort of navigate as you you know, we're an emerging yeah. leader in, in, in that process of learning and serving. There's some young leaders, um, I'm one yeah. of them, that needs to continue to just grow in <laughs> my emotional yeah. intelligence. Can you help us with that and unpack what EQ and this important work yeah. has meant to you? Absolutely. Uh, you're spot on. I believe the higher you go in an organization, meaning the greater your position, the more EQ becomes front and center. Everybody needs it, but the higher you go, the more emotional intelligence becomes a central factor because now it's people, you know, that you're, that you're leading. So let me tell you another story that I think might be helpful and relevant. Um, years ago, when America was still, our military was still serving in Iraq, we got to the point where um, the allied forces were sending over food and blankets and, and clothes for displaced Iraqis who were being run off to other villages, getting away from the Taliban. So Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Hughes was over there leading a troop. And when the shipment came over, he thought to himself, where would be the great best place to distribute this? Well, he could have taken the credit and said, people can come to me and the Americans will get a good reputation. We got the food, the clothes and the blankets. But he thought to himself, no, probably the local cleric at the mosque will be the best place to hand these out, even if we don't get the credit. Isn't that cool? So, so he meets cool. with a cleric and the cleric says, yeah, you know. So here's what happened. Hughes and his soldiers are marching down the road to the mosque with a package on their shoulder and a rifle on the other shoulder. Well, you can imagine what this looked like to the locals. Mm. They're thinking these guys are going down there to bomb the mosque. That's mm. everything. That's what they'd seen before. So by the time Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Hughes and his Soldiers get to the mosque, probably 200 feet away. It's surrounded by people from the village with sticks mm. and rocks, and they are ready for a street fight. Well, wisely, instead of initiating the street fight, because they would have won, they got the guns, he orders his troops to stop. He tells them to set down their packages and point their guns to the ground, which makes them more vulnerable. Mm. And then he tells them to take a knee, which is the most vulnerable position if somebody's got a rock in his hand. And then he says, I want you to look up at these people and smile. And the moment his soldiers, you can just picture this, smile at the people. Those local villagers, one by one, started dropping their sticks and their rocks. And that gave Hughes time enough to find somebody that spoke the local dialect and the local languages to tell them we're here to serve you, not to, not to kill you. Mm. And it was a disaster averted. Well, here's what I believe about that story. I don't think Hughes read that on page 57 of the manual. I think he was high in emotional intelligence. He read the people before he led the people. Mm. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. Mm. It's work. That's why we don't like it. It's more work. It's work. I got to play chess, not yes. checkers. Yes. These, these people are different, like knights and rooks and pawns. These people are, you know, we can't play checkers. Or excuse, Yeah, we can't play checkers. Mm. So anyway, I'll stop rambling here, but... In the book, I, I tell that story and I talk about, here's the takeaways from Hughes that we need. It's self-awareness. It's social awareness. It's management of my own emotions. You can imagine their emotions were heightened. These men have been trained to fight. 
but instead they serve. So yeah, yeah it's powerful. If you want to lead the people, you got to read the people. Um, That's right. You talk about this idea of of reading the air or feeling the air. You tell another story. I'd love for yeah. you just to share this. I've heard you tell the story about the yeah. the presenter who didn't, you know, ask. Yes. Them. Any questions? Hey. Can you can you tell us this one? Yes, it's a it's such a fun story. I hope you listeners enjoy this. Jordan and I are nerding out of the stories. <laughs> we totally um, are. So um, there was a a, a a presenter, a female presenter that did a great job in her presentation. She happened to be over in Japan. She had one of her guides and translators who was Japanese with her. She got done with her presentation and she looked out at the audience and says, does anybody have any questions? Well, nobody says anything for maybe 30 seconds. And that's a pretty long period of time. So instead of this dead silence, she thought, well, thank you very much. And she walked off the stage. When she gets backstage, her helper, her interpreter said, oh, there were questions. And she said, oh, there weren't. I just asked and nobody said anything. He said, no, 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 no. You have to read the air. And she goes, what are you talking about? And he said, just watch. He went back out and said, does anybody have any questions? And then he looks, he looks at the crowd. Yes, 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 yes. They were, they were sending the message. They had a question when they merely looked up. Because in Japan, they're not loud Americans like us. Hey, I got a question here. You know, they're just looking up and very politely. And, you know, that's how much of Asian culture is. But she missed it because she didn't understand the cues. So I love the fact that us audacious Americans completely miss things because we try to superimpose our culture on others sometimes. Mm. And it just doesn't work that way. She would have done well to read the air. And that means I got to be sensitive to cues that I'm missing right now. Yeah, so good. I, I love just everything that you share around self-awareness, self-management, effective mm-hmm. communication. You know, it's been said 90% of communication is nonverbal. We, I yeah. had an old ball coach. He would say, your body language never whispers, it screams. And I think yes. it's incumbent upon us as leaders to pay attention to that, right? People are communicating a lot without saying anything at all. Um, somebody's listening to this right now, uh, Tim, and they're thinking, okay, I get it. I need to pay attention to to differences and, and generation yeah. gaps and seek first to understand. But, but Tim, is it really that important to understand the five different generations in the workplace? And, and you contend that, yes, it is. And I want, you to, I want you to go deeper with that person and explain, hey, here's what you're missing if you're yeah, not paying yeah. attention to the differences. Great question. And one that probably deserves an hour. So I'll try to do it in three <laughs> minutes here. The, the first thing I would say if, if someone had this question would be, when I understand the narrative or the paradigm that each generation enters their career with, it really informs my leadership or really just my connection, even if I'm just a teammate. So think back way back in time, the builder generation, that would be my mom and dad's generation who grew up during the Great Depression, World War II. They're very, very old now and really past retirement, but some of them are still working. Their paradigm as they started their career was just be grateful you got a job. I mean, my dad said this to me over and over and over. I'd even say, dad, I started the company. Well, just be grateful you have that job. You know, I mean, it was just, that was a notion, (laughs) but it was gratitude, resourcefulness, you know, frugality, that sort of thing. Baby boomers come in and their mindset was, uh, I deserve better because boomers felt entitled to a better life than mom and dad had had. It was a time of expansion, not depression. So large and in charge. Okay. The Gen Xers come along in a very different day, 65 to 82. Um, the Vietnam War was going on, the Watergate scandal, the OPEC gas crisis, 
the failed Iran hostage rescue. Uh, there was so many things that were botched or lied about. Mm. So Gen X, even though they were just children back then, they were led by adults that were skeptical of leadership. Mm. And they grew up a little more cynical themselves, you know, a little more jaded, you know. So I gave them the life paradigm. Keep it real. Don't tell me everything's wonderful. It's not wonderful. Okay. Millennials come along. Those poor people that we've thrown under the bus <laughs> for 15 years. I feel so bad for millennials. But um, I gave them the life paradigm. Life is a cafeteria. Now, these are my children and many, many others I'm in front of. So here's what I mean by that. Just like you go to a cafeteria and you grab a tray and a plate and you get roast beef, mashed potatoes, jello, pudding, but you tailor that meal for your taste buds. This young professional generation is making almost every decision of their life as if it were a buffet. Mm. Here's some examples. And you get this, Jordan, because you're much younger than me. My two kids at 34 and 30 stopped buying compact discs to get their music years ago. Why would they get a CD? There might be five songs they don't like on that CD. They get one song at a time from their own playlist on Spotify or iTunes. It's a buffet. Um, I often like to remind people they treat education this way. They graduate high school and go to three different universities for, for, one, for one degree, you know. Uh, we've all heard of the college portal these days, you know. Um, <laughs> so true. And then, and then, listen, spiritually, I think I see this. Uh, yeah. It's a buffet. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Oprah Winfrey, you know, shaking <laughs> together. I've got my own faith, you know. But the point is, it's a free agent type of mindset. And the older bosses go, I don't like this. Well, yeah. welcome to tomorrow. You know, mm. and in fact, many millennials would say, well, corporate America wasn't loyal to me. Why would I be loyal to them? Mm. So whether you like that or not, it's kind of true. You know, how many people got yeah. laid off in COVID and, you know, before? Okay. So Gen Z, the last one I want to get to. Gen Z are just now entering their career and they are a different breed. Mm. Um, I, after doing focus groups with middle school, high school, college, and young professionals, They've been, they were very respectful as they gave me feedback. But the one phrase I would give them that I think summarizes their mindset is, I'm coping and hoping. Mm. So they're still hopeful because they're young. But my gosh, mental health issues are just mm. causing them to be kind of, I'm just coping with life. And yeah, I'm binging on video games. It's the only way I make it through my day. You know, mm. that sort of thing. Now, not everybody. I realize this sounds like I'm stereotyping. But here's what I want you to know. There is a tone to each generation in culture. For the builders, it was a generation of caution. For the boomers, generation of confidence. Mm. Xers, back to caution. Millennials, back to confidence. Gen Z, mm. back to caution. So a, a supervisor wow. today might have needed to say to a millennial, hey, wait a minute, Josh, you might not be the president of the company when you're 23, you know. To a Gen Zer, you might need to say, Austin, give it a shot. You can do this. I believe it's in you. So again, it's understanding before we before we try to communicate. And I think the generations just give us one more piece. Personality is important. Family of origin is important. Myers-Briggs is important. But I think understanding this could be a game changer to every leader listening right now. So if I'm leading a team, I'm, you know, at work, I got I got a team, I'm part of a team and and I'm, I'm absorbing some of your content. I'm, I'm going, you know, Dr. Tim Elmore, he's got just great content. But, but here we go. We're going we're gonna to start using this in our day-to-day yeah. -day work. Um, how do we implement, integrate? How do we take your content, Tim, and, and bring it to life 
day in and day out in in the workplace? How do how do we do that? Okay, couple of thoughts that I'll share. Uh, one, I I have a little exercise that I've created, and it's in the book, but I call it ditch the niche. Remember how I talked about how we're little niches? Of course, that's not a new idea, but I love the idea of ditch the niche. So that means I'm going to get outside outside of the, my comfortable zone of people that think like me, vote like me, talk like me, you know, they're all 48 years old or whatever, and really seek somebody out from another generation. And maybe I experienced that modern elder young genius thing. But in the ditch the niche exercise, I say, ask them about their superpowers. Because we've all got them. And a younger person with me probably has superpowers that are way different than mine. Uh, and then mine probably are going to be different, but they can both add value. So ditch the niche, find mm-hmm. somebody on purpose, take them to lunch, go get coffee and, and, and have that exercise. Another one that I think is even stronger that anybody can do is a term that Jack Welch gave us, gosh, over, over 25 years ago. He called it reverse mentoring. Mm. Now, it's a second cousin to ditch the niche, but here, Jack Welch, remember Jack Welch was the CEO of General Electric for years and years and years. Yes. When he took over, it was the 1990s. And if you remember, computers were still kind of new back then. So his 58-year-old executives didn't like the computer. They'd, they'd been doing it with a pad of paper and a pen for you know, years and years and years. They don't need those funky computers. But Jack knew computers are the future. His newest team members recently graduated from MIT, understood the computer really well. So he matched up this 58-year-old with his 22-year-old, put them together. And I said, I want you to practice reverse mentoring. Here's how it works. The older generation, well, first of all, they swap stories. Isn't it true? You can always find Mm. common ground when you swap stories. I don't care who you're talking to. Mm. So swap stories. You see there's a bond, even though you're not the same generation. But then... The older veteran says, here's how this company works. This will help you and give you a little bit of a, you know, acceleration on, on, on getting ahead here. But then the older person turns into mentee, not mentor, and says, would you help me out here? Can you, you know, blah, 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 with technology or whatever it is, smart technology. Yeah. Maybe. The point was it revolutionized General Electric, and I think it could do this today. I do this mm-hmm. with Andrew regular basis. Andrew serves on, on our team. He's 30 years younger than me, Jordan. And I'm telling you, every time we meet, we check our egos at the door. And I'm a teacher and a learner. He's a teacher and a learner. We laugh, mm. we cry. And I'm telling you, I'm always better because I meet with that younger generation person that I need in my life right now to stay relevant. So good. Ditch the niche. Get involved in some reverse mentoring. I love that. And I love how, I mean, I've heard you speak so often and I just love how you bring, again, practical application to this idea of closing generation gaps and understanding each other in a deeper way. Um, I'm also going to encourage our listeners to go order the newest book. I've got one more question for you that is is maybe the most important question, Tim. But before I do okay. that, I want to let you know and I want to let our listeners know, we're going we're gonna to give away 50 free books. So we're going to purchase um, 50 books on pre-order uh, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. Your book drops October 25th, correct? Yeah, that's okay. correct. Uh-huh. And so by the time this podcast rolls out, uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be right around that date. And so we're gonna send you cool. a copy. What you need to do if you're listening is just email Ashley A S H L E Y at MontgomeryCompanies.com. I'm also gonna ask that you copy J J A Y at MontgomeryCompanies.com. We'll send you a book. Say, hey, heard the podcast with Tim Elmore. 
uh, send me a book. We'd love to dive in. And we're going to send you a free copy of Tim's new book. We're going to get a bunch of them on pre-order. And so uh, you'll have a chance to learn directly from Tim. Um, Tim, I, I want to ask you this last question because we've talked so much about understanding the different generations in the workplace, but I know this has also impacted you in, in your home. And I think about yeah. leadership in the context of leading at home. I know that family is so critically important to you. I'd love to hear yeah. just directly from you about how this work, understanding different generations has impacted your leadership in the home. Oh my gosh, it's huge. So a couple of quick stories come to my mind. My daughter, Bethany is our firstborn. She's 34. When she was 12 years old, 12, 13 years old, that, that school year, um, we, I sat down with her. She was in the eighth grade. And I said, um, Bethany, I want to talk about a rite of passage experience for you. She asked what that was. And I explained it. It's, you know, something that helps you move from girlhood to womanhood. And then I did this with my son four years later. But that night, she and I together chose six women that would be one day mentors for her that next year. They'd pick a day and she'd spend the day shadowing them. So she chooses them and I confirm we, I wanted somebody that we, my wife and I really respected and that she thought were really cool, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I called all six of them the next day and I said, I got a crazy idea. I said, would you pick a day in the next year and allow our daughter Bethany to be with you that day, just shadow you. And I said, if you go to work, take her to work. If you stay at home, keep her at home. But I just asked that during that day, she could watch you live your life. We so respect the way you carry yourself. And you are an older generation that may have a voice in her life much more than mom and dad right now as an emerging teenager, right? Isn't that true? Yes. So I said, the only thing I ask of you, and I said this to all six of them, is would you share one life message with our daughter, Bethany? A message you wish you would have heard when you were 13, but nobody ever shared it with you. Well, every one of these ladies said yes, and then they went beyond my wildest imagination. Uh, Sarah took Bethany as a nurse. She took Bethany to the maternity ward, and Bethany helped women give birth to babies between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. that day. Wow. And then Sarah, yeah, and then Sarah took her to a, uh, another room in the hospital where Sarah taught a class for unwed mothers. She, Bethany sat amidst a bunch of other teenagers that were pregnant and probably didn't want to be. And then at dinner that night, Sarah's life message for Bethany was on handling your sexuality wisely. Mm. Well, don't you know that message got through loud and clear that particular day, <laughs> much <laughs> right. better than my lecture on the right. subject. And I, I've got a lecture, you know. <laughs> um, Holly took Bethany downtown Atlanta and talked about serving the poor. Uh, Betsy was a flight attendant with Delta, flew Bethany to New York City for the day. I couldn't have scripted this any better. Wow. But all six of these ladies were an older generation that Bethany thought, I respect that. So Bethany got some timeless principles, right? We just talked about yeah. that in this year that she was 13 years old. At the end of the year, Jordan, we had all ladies over. Bethany served them dinner, which was a big deal for her. And then we went into the family room. Bethany sat a chair in the middle of the room, and I had coached her on this, but I didn't do it for her. She sat in that chair in the middle of the room with these ladies all around her, and one by one, she read a personal letter that she had written to each one of these ladies. Dear Miss Betsy, this is what I learned from you. This is how my life changed. Thank you. And one by one, you can imagine there wasn't a dry eye in the place, but they're whispering things back to her. And then when it was all over, I... um. 
I tried to get up and explain the rite of passage too, but I was, I, I was, I was completely unfit emotionally for that, but I didn't have to be articulate in that moment. Every one of the ladies knew what was going on. They got up from the sofa and chairs and they knelt down on the carpet and looking up at our little girl, they just started speaking words of blessing. Mm-hmm. Bethany, you're going to be a great leader. I can just tell. Bethany, you're going to be a great wife if you choose to be. Oh my gosh, Bethany, mm. you're going to be a great mom if you choose to be. I mean to tell you, those voices added to ours from another generation made all the difference in the world. And now there's mutual. Bethany's babysat their kids. I mean, it's that yeah. generational give back. Yeah. So all I'm saying, I guess, yeah. to you and to the listeners are, let's take advantage rather than just tolerate each other. Mm. And who knows, maybe this is exactly what was supposed to happen in every generation of life. If we could just connect instead of, instead of collide, that's what I'm, I'm pushing for. So powerful. And I'm, I'm tearing up as I'm listening to you. And I, you know, we have three young daughters and just thinking about the impact that, you know, those women had on, on your daughter and, and the gift it is right to surround our children with people that they can continue to learn from. So um, I get to say this, I think like once every three, I'm always inspired by, you know, folks like you that were lucky enough to interview, but you know, one out of, you know, maybe every three episodes, I get goosebumps, you know, and that was just, that was a goosebump moment. Like, wow, that was so powerful. And I appreciate you taking time to share. And, and my friend, I just thank yeah. you for your leadership. Um, first off, I admire the way that you bring Jesus and faith into the conversation. You, you really take a stand for the things that you believe in most, uh, faith and family and just love how that's a regular part of your work. And yeah. I also love that um, you're you're really helping people understand each other in a deeper way, helping leaders with self-awareness and emotional intelligence, two areas of our leadership that I think as a country, we need to really be focused on right now. So your yeah. work has yeah. never been more important than it is right now. And this new book is gonna penetrate the hearts of many. And I think it will help people both professionally and personally. Um, before we sign off, Tim, anything else that you wanna share with our listeners, I'm going to ask where they can find you and certainly we'll link your information yeah. to show notes, but any, any other just thoughts that, that you want to share with our listeners before we sign off? Yeah, there is, there is something free that might be fun for people to take. They can certainly get the new kind of diversity book. Um, but uh, we created a, an assessment that people can test their generational fluency up front before they even buy the book. So maybe the book comes later as an encyclopedia for you. But uh, you're going to love this title. We call it the GQ. So it's your generational quotient that we're allowing you to test. So it's 41 questions. And at the end, you get a report that lets you know, well, you're pretty good with Xers, but you're not so good with Gen Z or whatever. You know, that's right. And then I try to give you some simple steps to better connect with each generation. So the GQ assessment, you can go to newdiversitybook.com and get the free assessment and the book there. But um, that might be fun for listeners to to take for free and just see if... uh, just to see how well you do. But if you're trying to find it, look no further. It's in the show notes. So go to the show notes. Okay, There'll be there a link go. to the GQ assessment. I want to remind our listeners again, if you want a new copy, uh, a free copy of Tim's book, A New Kind of Diversity, send us an email, ashley at montgomerycompanies.com. Please copy J-J-A-Y at montgomerycompanies.com. We don't want to miss any of your important communications. So we'd love to send you uh, a free copy. And also, Tim, I want to give Chad Johnson a shout out. Um, Chad was kind enough to connect us. Chad's a great friend. I know he's a, a good friend of yours. Yeah. And uh, so just really thankful that Chad put us in touch and allowed us to share this special conversation. Um, 
man, I, I just really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you for investing your precious, valuable time and energy into the great people of our community. It means a lot. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, Jordan. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, God bless, be well. Thanks, Tim. Yep, you too, bye-bye. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks also to John Cho and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope you've done that today. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.